Morning, everyone. My name's Sai. It's great to be here speaking to you this morning. So I had a, had a friend of mine, and his name was Joshua, and he had never met Anna before. And he was, um, uh, he'd heard lots about Anna from me, and so he was going to meet her. And on this first occasion where he met her, he wanted to make a really good impression with her. So he, he, he came to Anna, and he, uh, I'll pick on Jane as she's given her testimony already. He shook her hand, and he said, he said, Anna, Simon said you were thin, but you are so, so fat. It's <laughs> lovely to meet such a big lady like that. Now, <laughs> now, <laughs> nothing about you there, Jane, but... Uh, 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 Yes, now I'm not the most sensitive chap in the room, but even for me, these alarm bells in my head were thinking, uh-oh, what, what's, what's Anna going to, to do here? Uh, so you may be surprised to know that through somewhat gritted teeth, Anna's response was, thank you, Joshua. That's very kind of you. Kind? I mean, how on earth could that ever be considered kind. Everyone knows that uh, if you're a lady, to be slim is considered to be a good thing. And if you're over the age of 12, then to be called big is not a nice thing either as well. Everyone knows that, surely. Well, not in East Africa, in Uganda, where Joshua lives. You see, you're only normally thin there if you're poor or you're unwell and you're on death's door. So actually, to be big and to be fat is a sign of wealth and status when you're out there. So when you take that into consideration, you suddenly realize that Joshua was paying Anna a big compliment. He was, to use Anna's words, being kind to her, although, uh, yeah, culturally she was feeling like, not sure I like this. Now, the reason for that story is, as we continue in this letter to Ephesians this morning that Paul wrote to them, there's a couple of points in there that will jump out to you, no doubt, that will have a similar sort of shock factor to some people potentially in the room as well. And part of that shock factor will be because we don't understand the culture that Paul was writing in. And when I've explained that, hopefully that some of that uh, shock factor will reduce. But some people may still be left with a little bit of, oh, I'm not sure about that. And that's because our cultural values in this society are not in line with God's in, in some and in many areas. But as I've said before, the Bible is God's word. It's given to you and me for our good. It tells us all that we need to know about God, all that we need to know about his great plan of salvation. It tells us all that we need to know about what he requires of us. It doesn't tell us necessarily all that we want to know, but all that we need to know is in his word. And if we come and we have a problem with his word, the Bible, Actually, it is us, the Bible says, that has the problem. It's either a problem in our understanding of the teaching. We're misunderstanding what it says. And, uh, and uh, as it gets explained, we think, oh, okay, that makes sense. Or 
the problem is in our morality. Our values of right and wrong have got out of sync with God's. And just to give you a little clue, guess who it needs to change? It's not God who needs to change. Let's read this and uh, you'll see see why uh, I've uh, given that little preamble there. So turn to Ephesians if you've got your Bibles with you. Chapter 5, starting in verse 15. If not, just just listen to me read these words to us. I'll be going on to 6, verse 9. It says this. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Or you could translate that, that that leads to recklessness. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord." Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a, with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality 
with him. What I want to look at with you today is how God wants to fill us with his spirit so that we can be wise in how we live and then we can be good representatives of Christ to the world around us. And the key emphasis that I want to look at today actually comes from the first six verses that I uh, read to you there in Ephesians. However, because I know many people will be thinking, what's Cy going to say about wives? Submit to your husbands in, in everything. And what's he going to say about slavery? I'm actually going to have to reverse the order that I, I look at this uh, with you guys. And so my first point I'm going to look at is being good representatives of Christ in our marriage, our family, and workplace. And then secondly, be wise, be spirit-filled. That's the second point. So, so for the first point, being good representatives of Christ in our marriage, family, and workplace. As I um, have recommended from the front here uh, before, that we recommended books from, written by eminent theologians from different time periods. One of the reasons I do that is not only that God's word is timeless, so there's lots of rich teaching in there that can benefit us, but also because it helps us identify what are some cultural issues that we are currently facing. You see, you notice as you're reading uh, these, these passages, sometimes they'll spend ages going into something that you and I will look at and think, of course, that's, that's obvious. Why are you spending so much time explaining what's obvious to everyone? And then there's other times where you would like them to go into things with a bit more detail, and they don't. They just say something brief on it. So Calvin, for example, after uh, just addressing a few grammatical issues, says, nothing is more useful and good to the wife than to be subject to her husband. And then he, and then he moves on. He doesn't go into it in any, any detail at all. And before you think badly of Calvin, in an age where it wasn't common for a man to love his wife, it's recorded about him that he loved his wife tenderly and carefully. And so probably because of this passage here. But the reason they go into things with different levels of detail is because in every generation, there are things in Scripture that are there that, um, that are acceptable to the cultural norms of that time. And therefore, they don't really need much explaining because people read it and think, oh yeah, well, of course people should do that. Of course husbands should love their wives. But likewise... There's every, in every generation, there are things in there that are more difficult for, in that current cultural context. And so we often would see them, oh, that needs a bit more explaining. And so my friends, if you're here today and your morality is, your views of right and wrong is based on contemporary society, you need to be humble because... Actually, they change all the time. Every generation, their value system changes. And what, what we consider to be right and wrong now, if you like, a future generation will be looking back at it and saying, oh, that's, that's, uh, they're a bit backdated, they're a bit uh, outdated there. No, we're called as Christians to base what we believe on God's 
word. And it's useful to know what cultural issues we're facing. Not so we can just say, oh, it's a cultural issue, let's ignore it. No, no, we spend time addressing it, which is why I'm doing this point first rather uh, than the, 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 the other one. But also, we have to be extra careful that we don't try and squeeze God and what God's word says into our current cultural box of acceptability. We need to do our best to teach what the Bible does say and what it means whilst accepting that in every generation there'll be things in here that society finds difficult to accept and we have to live trusting that God knows best and that his ways are best. I mean, just to encourage you, don't look to modern society for how your marriage should work. 42% of them end in divorce. Modern family life is a chaotic mess. I don't know if you know this, but studies from the University of York back in 2016 show that our kids in this country rank amongst the lowest, some of the lowest of unhappiness levels in the, in the world, not just Europe, in, in the world. You have those in power abusing the system and the poor to make themselves richer, whilst at the other end, you have a recognized problem with benefits the uh, benefit system as well. My friends, God's word is completely reliable. It's completely trustworthy. You need to live your life by it. And if required, we should even give our life for it. Now, the funny thing about this passage is everything that we find culturally shocking, if you like, as, you, as we read through it, or difficult in our culture, is completely the opposite of what would have been difficult for them back in first century Rome when Paul wrote this letter. So back in first century Rome, the Roman Empire, the view would have been, well, of course a wife should submit to her husband. She legally belonged to him. He could do what he liked to her. He could sell her into slavery if she annoyed him. He could have her killed if he, if he wanted to. So of course, Paul, what are you, why are you making that point? The absolute shock factor in first century Rome, would have been the requirements on husbands. It would have been, what are you talking about, Paul? How can you say, love your wife, care for her well-being, look after her like your own flesh? Are you crazy? If she annoys me, just sell her and get a new one. You know, that's, that would have been, been the view there. But notice, in fact, how Paul just spends three short verses addressing the women and eight verses longer verses, addressing the men as well, because it needed more explaining at that time. And with both husband and wife, Paul links it back to Christ and the church as well. Thus, our marriage as Christians should represent Jesus in how we live together. There is a higher calling on your marriage this morning. If you're a Christian here this morning, there is a higher calling on your marriage than just you. And it's part of your Christian duty to God to do your utmost to make your marriage reflect Christ and his church. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying his life down for for her. Husbands, love your wives like this, putting her needs first, laying down your rights for her well-being and her good. Wives, submit 
to your husband as to the Lord. Does this imply that the, the wife is inferior to the husband? No, not at all, because Paul elsewhere has made it clear that we are all equal in Christ. Does that mean that you become a, a doormat and just say, yes, dear, yes, dear? No, not at all. It does mean, though, that there is a God-ordained responsibility, and hear that word, husbands, in the room, responsibility, that means God is going to hold you accountable for how you have led and protected your family. Therefore, the emphasis on the wife is help them to do this by following their lead. Yes, as you do so wonderfully, highlighting ways that you can improve and uh, do things uh, uh, better. And yes, by being fully involved in the decisions as an equal to your husband, but ultimately allowing them to give the lead in your married life. With one proviso, Charles Hodge excellently points out, he says this in his book on Ephesians. And again, this is a guy from the 19th century. No master, parent, husband, or magistrate can make it obligatory on us either to do what God forbids or not to do what God commands. So long as our allegiance to God is preserved and our obedience to man is made part of our obedience to God, we retain our liberty and our integrity as well. Excellent words there. Notice in in verse 31, when Paul's uh, addressing the men as well, he says that a man shall be united with his wife, and the two become one there. The Bible recognizes and teaches that one man should be with one woman for life. That's all it recommended. So it doesn't recognize one man with one man or, or women with women. It doesn't recognize that the two or, or three or four or five should become one. No, it's the two shall become one. One man with one woman for life. Anything else is not biblical. and It is not for our good according to the Bible. Likewise, Paul goes on. Fathers in Roman society had the absolute right over their children, even into adult life as well. He should be tough on his children to produce some backbone in in them. And yes, you guessed it, he had the right to put them to death for any reason if they annoyed him. So not only does Paul encourage the children with a promise that actually as they obey their parents, that God will bless them for that, he goes straight to addressing fathers directly. He doesn't fudge it by talking about parents. No, he goes to the one whose cultural right in that society meant that literally the life and death of the child was in that person's hands. And he said to them, don't provoke them to anger. Again, the response would have been, what are you talking about, Paul? A father should be tough on his children to produce some steel in them. A father, father, the child's life's in the father's hand. He can do what he likes with them. Paul is clear, don't. Discipline them, yes. All children need discipline from their parents. And dads back then, like, like dads today, could often you know, sort of just leave it to the mum, or back then as well, they leave it to a, a guardian who would you know, free you up from your pesky children. Well, not according to Paul. Dads, be involved in the discipline. Dads in the room, are you involved in the training and discipline 
of your children, don't just leave it to your wife. Don't just leave it to another, like a teacher or someone like that. You need to be involved in disciplining your child or children alongside your wife. Also, he says, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Parents in the room, you are the primary people responsible for bringing up your children in the Lord. Yes, the church and Elo have a part to play in the bringing up of children, but it's just a, a small part. You, as parents, have the primary responsibility of teaching your children about the way of God and God's word and what he requires of them. And if you're too busy to do that, then you're too busy and you need to slow down and dad's in the room, God is going to hold you particularly responsible for how you have done this and how you've ensured your family has has done this. So be aware of that. He's going to hold you to account for that. The final everyday area that Paul highlights how our spirit-filled living, if you like, should be outworked so that we're good representatives of, of Christ is with slaves and masters. And again, the shock factor in our culture is the opposite of Paul's day. We think, but Paul, are you endorsing slavery? Shouldn't you be addressing that and uh, saying how wrong that is? Well, actually, he already has. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 10, Paul deliberately lists enslavers along uh, in a list of sins that break God's commandments. So there and then, he puts the the nail in the coffin of slavery from a Christian perspective. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 21 to 22, Paul not only brilliantly makes slaves equal uh, to everyone else around them, but he also encourages them, if you can get your freedom, do so. Get it. And then lastly, in Philemon, uh, verses 8 to 6, and Philemon, the letter would have gone out alongside uh, this letter to Ephesians. He, he encourages a rich, a wealthy man who's become a Christian, Philemon, to set his slave, Onesimus, free. Hence giving an example for other wealthy Christians in Philemon's position to follow suit. Now Paul's words to the Ephesians here would have encouraged those trapped in slavery to think, cool, if I work hard for my earthly master, I'm actually working hard for God and God will reward me for that. In 21st century Britain, that applies to the workplace and to employees. As employees here in the room, which there'll be uh, many of us, us, if not most of us, God expects as part of your Christian witness that you work hard for him and for your employer, not by way of eye service, but as if you are working for Jesus himself. Because in reality, you are working for Jesus in all that you do. But the absolute shock factor in this letter for Paul's day, when he wrote the letter, is that he would address masters in his letter. Not only that, but he would make the masters equal to the slaves by saying, actually, you have the same master who views you equally with no partiality. And people would be saying, but Paul, don't you understand the slave's life? Again, everyone's life seems to be in the hands of somebody else. The slave's life was in the hands of their master. And Paul would say, yes, that's true. 
if they don't fear God and recognize that God is going to hold them accountable for how they treated one that he views as their equal. Today, we can apply these verses to employers. If you're an employer in the room, God is going to uh, require an account from you as to how you've entreated, how you've treated your employees that, that work for you. And there's no partiality with him. You see, my friends, the point of these, uh, these uh, verses that, that I've read here, where it addresses uh, husbands and wives, children and parents, slaves and masters, is to show us that there is much bigger and more important things being outworked through our marriages, through our parenting, through our workplace, which Paul is addressing, which is why he keeps linking it back to God, which is why he keeps linking it back to Christ, and why he keeps linking it back to his church. These everyday areas are part of how the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed through you into the heavenly realms around us. It's bigger than you, and it's bigger than me. And it's part of our Christian representation of Christ, how we live out these things. And therefore, we need to be wise in how we do it, and we need to make the best use of time. Which leads me on to my second point, where we look at the source of how we can be good representatives of Christ. And don't worry, this one is only brief, although actually this is the main one that we need to to hear. It says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of time, for the days are evil. How do we stand against the evil days that we live in, just like they were back then when Paul was there, when people call what God calls good bad, and people call what God calls bad and perverse. They call it good and normal. How do we have godly marriages? How do we be godly parents? And uh, how do we represent Christ to our employers and our employees? Must we try harder, submit more, be more outspokenly judgmental of the evil that we see around us in our society? Well, not according to what Christ has taught us. Jesus made it clear that we, by ourselves, cannot do it. We are powerless to please God in any and every area of our lives. And yet, because of God's great love, Christ came and he fully pleased God in every area. Jesus was without sin and yet he chose to die on the cross in order to take God's punishment for your sin and my sin on himself when we put our faith and our trust in him. Therefore, you're then free to know God and free to have peace with God. More than this, Jesus' righteous life is accredited to you. It's given to you. You are clothed, as it were, in the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at you, he sees his beautiful son, Jesus. And more than this, you receive the promised Holy Spirit, not only as a guarantee of our future inheritance, but so that we can be filled with the Spirit, as this, verse, uh, as this uh, passage encourages here. In verse 18, 
Where it says be filled with the Spirit, in the Greek it's in the present continuous tense. So it means go on being filled or continue to be filled as you're filled or be being filled is another way that that could be translated. You see, what you could not do for God, God has done for you in Christ Jesus by saving you. And what you and I are powerless to do for God, and if we're honest, often too selfish and stupid to to do to God, it might just be me, but uh, um, that is live to please him, Christ gives us the unlimited access to the power source of renewed thinking and renewed living, the spirit of God. If you want to make the best use of your time, my friends, then be wise, be spirit-filled. Every day, ask for fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Every opportunity you get, whether it be a small group, whether it be here, whether it be when you just meet up with some friends, humble yourself and ask God to fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit. You see, if you do that, if you, if you allow God's Spirit to have access to more and more of you, then your life will overflow into psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Then you'll live wisely, thanking God for all that he has given you. Then you'll be able to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then, if you, Not by your own power or your own wisdom, but by the Spirit of God, who is in you. The spirit, wives, will help you to respect your husband, even when that is difficult, which is probably most days. He will help you, men, to love your wives, even when she's so annoying. Again, probably most days. Uh, But uh, he will help you to obey your oh-so-embarrassing parents, and he will equip you to bring up those pesky children that God has given you. The Spirit will help you to be good employees and employers. You see, it's not about us trying to draw more strength from somewhere in here. It's about us drawing more strength from God on high, who wants to pour out his Spirit into your life and into my life. You see, for the Spirit of God loves to glorify Jesus. That's what he wants to do. And he's wanting to produce in you more Christ-likeness so that you represent Christ in all these areas of your life. So, my friends, this morning, be wise, be spirit-filled. God wants to fill us with his spirit so that we can be wise in how we live and be good representatives of Christ to the world around us. Amen? Amen. Now you may be here this morning and you don't know Jesus or that you've, uh, you did know Jesus and you've drawn yourself away from him and gone off and done other things. The Spirit of God is here this morning because he's wanting to draw you back to Jesus. So I'm just going to ask everyone to close their eyes and to bow their heads. And if you're here this morning and you know You need to get right with God. As I've said to you, it's not about try harder or do more. It's about surrendering your life to Jesus and letting him, letting him in and letting him help you to to do these things, enabling him to 
make you righteous before God. It's not your efforts, it's what he's done. So if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I just want you to pray this prayer in your heart along with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me enough to send Jesus to come and to die for me. Please forgive me for all that I have done, said, and thought that are wrong, that's wrong and that offends you. By the power of your Spirit, help me to live the rest of my life for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that this morning, please come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to, I'd love to pray with you. But I'm now going to actually invite the, the, the band back up to come and lead us in a closing song. But you'll notice that we've put the chairs further back this week because actually I think there's a general response that God wants us to do. And I didn't want just to oh, stand and receive where you are. I believe it actually needs a physical action this morning as well. And that is that we need to be filled with afresh with the Spirit of God. And if you're here this morning and say, yes, I want to be wise, I want to be Spirit-filled, then I'd like to encourage you as we go through this song to make your way into the, the space here. And someone may get to pray with you, they, they may not, but it's an action of saying, God, I recognize I need to humble myself. I can't do it in my own strength. Whatever God's calling you to do, I need your spirit. I need your spirit to work on me. There may also be particular areas that you want prayer for this morning, whether it might be to do with your, your marriage, as we've looked at this. It may be to do with uh, parenting or your children in that particular area. It may be to do with your workplace. Can I encourage you, as people respond and that, uh, we come forward generally, if that's you, please come forward over to the front left here, and there'll be people to pray with you and to, to help you in this. But can I encourage us to stand? You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.